Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this episode, I will be talking to Zureda Ibrahim about some of the key lessons she has for women who want to get ahead and how you can help other women too. Zureda Ibrahim is the CEO of Client Engagement Solutions at Momentum Metropolitan Holdings Limited. She's responsible for Momentum Multiply, the wellness and rewards business, the newly created transactional banking product house, and Momentum IX, which is focused on using technologies and a deep understanding of consumers to deliver great digital experiences for Momentum clients. Beyond business, Zureda is married, is a mum to four, and as she puts it, she's a wannabe trail runner in all that spare time that she has. She has a passion for people. That she is an inspiration to others was palpably evident when we shared the platform last year at a virtual Momentum event aptly built around this mantra of she owns her success. Zureda has been breaking barriers since the age of 22 when she first entered the corporate arena and she has some real pearls of wisdom to share with us in this podcast. Welcome to Win at Work and Life, Zureda. Thank you, Nikki. It's really wonderful to be here and share some of my experiences with you and your listeners today. Thank you. So I think we should kick off with where we were in our preparation for this podcast when we spoke a lot about mindset and how it can either limit you or enable you. And you grew up with a mum, a grandmother, two sisters and an older brother in the house. How did that view uh, change your view of the world or shape your view of the world? Yeah, so Nikki, I must say that it's it's always in retrospect that one can really reflect on it and find the value in what you've been given, you know, your whole life or what you may have taken for granted. So I think the first thing that I'll say to you is I was truly, truly raised in a home where I got to believe in myself. You know, my parents, my grandmother, they had this absolute unwavering belief in all of us, just in absolutely everything that we did, in everything that we could be. So I think that that just formed like a very strong foundation for myself and and my siblings, you know. So my mother would always say things like, the word can't is not in our vocabulary in this home. So we we just grew up with this mindset of absolutely anything is possible. And then I, as you could imagine, I was raised in an Indian home, a Muslim family. Um, that comes with many, many stereotypes, you know, and perceptions of, of, of what would really happen there. But, you know, what I'll have you know is that being one of three daughters, what we were taught really is how to look after ourselves, how to stand up for ourselves, how to fend for ourselves, how to provide for ourselves. You know, in fact, uh, my mother would say often in front of my dad, that no man will ever be responsible for looking after you. You know, he never knew how to respond to it when, when, when she did say that. But we were also taught that, you know, it's not just about being able to, like, be responsible for our own dreams, but that it was in our own hands. And what this meant was that we had to work hard, that we, you know, hard work is get your hands dirty, is actually build your own dreams with your two own hands. So in that home that I grew up in, my mom was in charge of our finances. My dad was actually the classy dresser. 
my grandmother mowed the lawn. Um, wow. You know, so we, 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 we were actually taught that there wasn't a specific job for a specific type of person. Everyone put in what needed to be put in, but that really, it was about finding, you know, your personal contribution to the world. To the team, and, and to I the think, team really, at the end of the day, because your family was a team. And so what a, what an amazingly rich starting point for you to be part of a team where everybody pulled their weight and did, I guess, what had to be done and didn't take note of what the stereotypes of the day were. I mean, you talk about your mum, you know, managing the finances. And in those times, my goodness, even today, many women do not manage their own finances. When I stand up in front of audiences, helping them to prepare for what if moments, the number of women who actually come to me afterwards and say they don't even have their own bank accounts. Uh, they wouldn't know how to get money out of their accounts if their husband died. They don't know what the investments are. So you had a really strong grounding in being prepared and I guess in taking responsibility for yourself. And that is such a, a key thing today. Uh, you're a parent as well. And, you know, so many parents are wanting to rescue their children, keep them in a state of perpetual happiness. And it doesn't really help people to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps if they keep being rescued all the time. Exactly. And as a parent, Nikki, as you would know, it's, it's absolutely not easy. It's absolutely not easy to stand back, you know, and watch them make mistakes, get it wrong. But very much again, like I was taught, is that it's not actually what we can do for our kids, but what we can teach them to do for themselves, you know. Yeah. And, 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 but I, I can say that that is much easier said than done. Uh, yes. I mean, we, we really, we feel, especially as mothers, we feel our children's pain. And uh, it's, it's really um, very tangible in our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts. And sometimes it's really hard to say no, or I don't know, what do you think? Uh, as opposed to giving them the solution to their problem. And we'll, we'll come back to that point when we talk about sponsorship and mentoring other women. But I'm yes. interested to know, because you said that you grew up in a home without stereotypes, you went into the world of work at an early stage, at the age of 22. When did you first start noticing assumptions and stereotypes, and how did you deal with them? Yeah, so... Yeah. When I reflect on this, you know, I think the first time I became acutely aware of this, it wasn't, it wasn't actually at work. You know, we'll, we'll talk about work in a moment. But I remember thinking, you know, I, I was young, I married young. Um, I, I, I remember going to family functions and getting to these functions. And there was a lot, there's a lot to do at these functions. You know, someone's got to make sure that just the order of the day is working, food's done, People know, you know, where to go and, 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 and so forth. But for some reason, I always ended up on kitchen duty. Now, what I will tell you about me is that that is not one of my star qualities at all. <laughs> but already then, you know, there was this perception that that's where I would add the most value. And it so was absolutely not true. So in our own homes, I think that sometimes we perpetuate some of the stereotypes. We, we do it by almost allowing other people to make it easy to usher us into those roles, or sometimes to avoid conflict, we even put our hands up for them. So I think that it's the first time I, I became aware of it simply because I kept thinking, well, I'm not really good at this. And when that young, I was acutely aware of, but I'm a career woman, you know, that's kind of how I described myself back then. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? So 
when you talk about stereotypes, that's one of the first things that that I think of. I must say, over the years, I have become better in the kitchen. So <laughs> I should think that's a you know really helpful. But um, you know, it's interesting what you say. What's just sort of occurred to me is that sometimes it's easier to accept the roles that are given to you or to take them on because you're making it with somebody, whether it's with your mother, with your father, with your aunties, your uncles, your grandmother. So you just say yes. And then if it goes on for too long, you become stuck in that, in that expectation. But we often as women do do things to keep other people happy, to keep other people liking us, you know, that making it with somebody that, that will be, will be accepted. We will, you know, because we're ticking a box for somebody else, but so often we're not thinking about what boxes are we ticking for ourselves. You're absolutely right. And, 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 and that likability issue is a big thing for women. And actually there's research that points to the fact that when we are stronger or about what we want to do, that we are less likable. And that in itself is, is, is a challenge. But it wasn't just at home. So going to the office, I mean, I remember, this is a long time ago, but I remember when going to meetings and the tray of tea would be delivered and placed in the middle of the table. And what I remember is that it would just stand there and everyone would carry on with the meeting, you know, with whatever is the discussion at the time, until eventually some woman around the table would actually just give in and start passing the tea around. I don't think I can ever remember a meeting where one of the male attendees in the meeting actually like leant over and passed me a cup of tea. You know, it was, um, it's, it's just someone would give in, some, some, some woman, sometimes it was me, sometimes it was someone else, where you just felt, okay, well, that's the, it's actually the polite thing to do. I, many meetings where I walked into where, you know, someone would, well, actually the chairperson would look around and then go, so Reda, won't you take the minutes? And then if I stared blankly, it would be, yeah, you, you have a much neater handwriting than the rest of us around here. You know, so it was almost, you know, if I had to finish the sentence, it would be, oh, well, as a girl, you write better than us guys, you know, yeah. so um, where you just take the minutes. So those are some of the stereotypes that we had to face often, I think, in the workplace. And, and actually, that's where it starts. But every one of those opportunities are also an opportunity for us to stand up and to speak out and to... I remember the first time I, uh, I decided that I, I wasn't going to take, because actually I don't have the best handwriting, not when I'm in a hurry. So, you know, so I don't, when I, I, I don't write that neatly. So the first time I decided to challenge it, I was like, mm, actually, that's not true. But it, it took a hell of a lot of courage, but it also took practice. I had to practice the sentence to myself a couple of times before it, it you know, I was comfortable enough saying it out loud. It's got to roll off your tongue as if it's a very natural thing. And I, when we were chatting, you know, before this interview about uh, what we were going to talk about, that was one of the things that really struck me was how you actually came up with these lines that you practiced and practiced until they were natural and they would just come up in the moment. And especially when uh, you talk about how you promote women in the boardroom and what you noticed over the years, how people wouldn't listen to women. Just can you share with our listeners how you would respond to that? Yeah, so I think that often you 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 sitting in a meeting where, as we know, it is not an uncommon occurrence for there to be one, two, or or even three women with maybe five or ten male counterparts uh, in a room, 
And often I'd be in a situation where one of my female colleagues would say something and uh, maybe one of the other guys would just not deliberately dismissive, but not particularly attentive to the idea that was put on the table. And then I would, I would literally practice this. You know, I think it's, it's, it's the idea of amplifying uh, the voice of, of the female voices around the table. But I would literally practice going, hang on a second, Nikki, that was a good idea. Won't you say that again, please? You know, just until the room stopped and we had the opportunity to realize that Nikki, another female colleague, had this idea and we had the opportunity to listen to it again. Um, so I, I would literally just learn the behavior that when that happened, when someone spoke over another one, another female colleague again, that that was the behavior that I had to put in place. And I would just, uh, I, I started doing it more and more often and it became easier to do and easier to say. I, what I like about what you're saying is that you didn't make it a confront. You just made it a by the by. And in a way, you were building and creating a new awareness and a new habit. And you did it quite subtly, but overtly. So you weren't being apologetic, but you weren't standing up and pounding your fists and saying, now, guys, come, really, this is, you know, you're being very sexist here. You actually just made it happen. I think it's, it's about modeling the behavior, you know, the behavior that we want to see. I hope that, you know, when that I'm sure it happens to me. I'm hoping that my colleagues do exactly the same thing. And I probably picked that up from someone else that I, I watched successfully display that behavior. M many things that I do, I pick up from, from other female colleagues who, who actually successfully get to change the way things happen in the boardroom. Yeah. And, and we all have to step up to stand up and show up wherever we find ourselves, whether it's the boardroom, whether it's in the office, whether it's in the kitchen at the office, you know, wherever it is, we can all make a difference. Any other stereotypes or, or assumptions that you've had to, to tackle? You know, I, when I think about it, I think that one of the things that I, I, I often had to deal with at the office was I was quite young when I entered the management space at work. I, I had been working for two years when I first became a manager and shortly thereafter, I progressed into middle management and senior management. So I was very fortunate in terms of the opportunities that I, I found myself with in the early stages of my career. One of the assumptions that I had to deal with was that I was young. Like one of my bosses would say to me all the time, oh, how old are you again? Oh, but you're so young. You know, you have more than enough time. So it wasn't always about my capability it was sometimes around, well, you can't possibly know that or you can't possibly do that. You're far too young. And for many, many, many years, I actually wore my hair in a bun. I spent more time trying to look older. I mean, how bizarre is that? I did that <laughs> while I was under 30. Remember, in the, in the 80s, we had those big shoulder pads. So, you know, already yes. that was one thing. That was the power dressing. But I, I used to wear suits that made me look older because you, your credibility was linked to your age, very much Absolutely. so, and especially if you were a woman. Absolutely. So I found myself wearing a bun and trying to look older um, so, that, you know, so, so, so that people took me seriously and, and uh, realized that it was fine for me to make a contribution to whatever it was that ha was happening despite my, my age. I remember... An example of a time in, in my career, where it was, it was really a make or break situation for me, but where an assumption around, and, and in this case, it was actually not, um, it was actually not um, an, another man that I was up against. I, it was an, an older female, but where there was a job opportunity 
after a merger um, that we had gone through at the office. And I was actually the one who had built the business case. I had put the strategy together. I had written out how the combined entity would operate. So I'd done all the work. And like nowhere in that assumption did I believe that I had to give up this opportunity to the person who was there you know, much, 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 much longer. I, I, you know, I didn't assume that I was going to get the role, but I, I did assume that I would be equally considered. And eventually when it came time to talk about this job, I was just told, well, well, really? Like, why would I even expect it? And I, you know, I was like, well, I don't know, because I've been working on it for months and I had invested in it. I, I had built the business case without any contribution from anyone else. You know, wow. and this very business case was approved. So why would you why would you not consider giving the role to me? And that was probably the first time where I openly challenged the stereotype. Um, you know, and and I probably think it set the tone for my career where I realized that I had to have the courage to speak up. I had to have the courage to to point out um when when I didn't think that uh, you know, I was being given a fair chance. But also just to challenge some, even if it didn't have to do with me particularly, but to challenge some of the thinking that we would apply to opportunities in business. So, yeah, that, that one turned out well for me, um, but it did take a lot of courage. And then you mentioned something to me the other day, which involved a male colleague or a number of male colleagues or somebody who said to you, I don't know how to deal with a woman with an opinion who earns money. Where was that coming from? It actually, it wasn't my direct boss at the time. It was probably a boss's boss's boss. I'd been working on an initiative that was actually sponsored by this very senior person in, in our business. And like being the champion of this initiative, you know, I had taken direction from, from this uh, executive on, on what he wanted, what the outcome was, um, when he wanted it to happen, you know, what the budget was, like all the, the usual things that one would get from an executive sponsor. And as I worked through this project, I found that some of the things that, you know, he had asked me for just didn't make sense. So I would go to him and I would say, I don't really think it can apply just to that section of people. I think it needs to be more broad. Or I would get, go to him and say, well, I know that this is how it was implemented in the case study that we had used from one of our, our banking partners. But actually, I think that it could actually work like this instead. I think that this was a better idea. And you know, eventually he didn't, he didn't actually say this to me, but apparently I had too many ideas. So he actually went to my boss at the time and literally told my boss that, Look, can you, what advice do you have for me to work with this woman? Like, you, you know, she's just, she's got all of these ideas. Like I'm very used to giving people instructions um, and them listening to it. So can you please just give me advice on like, you know, how, how should I approach, you know, her with, with all of these ideas and, you know, with so many opinions. And for some reason, my, my boss was very supportive. And, um, you know, he had obviously, he obviously was very seasoned at dealing with a woman with lots of opinions because I worked very well with him. And, you know, he actually shared this with me and he said, you know, maybe you should tone it down a little bit or, you know, and I was like, no, I'm just going to ask him. <laughs> so, um, he coached me into how I should have that conversation and it actually turned out quite well. I ended up having a very, very good relationship with this um, executive sponsor um, who, challenged, who was challenged uh, by all of my opinions. But I think I realized at the time, I, when I reflected on it, 
I'll tell you the one day I was in, I was in a meeting and I, I, I think it was soon after that experience, but I started reflecting on it. Like, is it a case of just ignorance? It's not always a case of bad intent, you know? So it's not always a case of, well, that, that someone is intending not to work well with this woman or, or that they didn't think that that was the place for women. Sometimes they just hadn't thought about it. You know, that's saying you don't know what you don't know. And Absolutely. You were putting that on the table. Wasn't, wasn't it a situation that his idea of a woman was his experience of a woman, which was his wife being at home with the children and not having a job? Absolutely. So I, I think that that was the other side of the story. So when I was going through that, I actually... One day I happened to be in a meeting with like a few guys and I don't remember exactly how many, I still remember who some of them are today, but I mean, um, I can't remember exactly how many guys there were, but while I was dealing with this issue, trying to make sense of it and trying to be more empathetic about it or, or trying to understand it better, I actually just went around the table and I went, okay, do I know, do I know his wife and his wife and his wife and his wife? And then I realized, but I was sitting in a room of people who at the time in that very meeting, all of their wives were at home, okay, supporting, probably supporting them, looking after their children, maybe like having a, a different career than the one, the corporate one that I was used to. So it's not a statement about what they were doing or not doing, but it was just a realization to me that maybe the frame that they had come into a particular situation or conversation was, was, was very different from mine. You know, I grew up in a household where, as I said to you, my mom did the finances, but my mom also held more jobs than my dad did. You know, so she worked a corporate job, but she also had a side business. Um, she also had another part-time job. She then also ran the household. So it's, I grew up in a household where that was modeled. What about the modeling that was different? And so for me, it was also being able to understand that perspective and then having the courage to um, challenge some of those perspectives, you know, to ask questions about it, to understand it better, but then to, to actually ask for a different framing. Mm. So I'm hearing you saying you actually developed empathy for their story, for their perception, but you also had the courage to challenge it and to say, but that's not my reality and Absolutely. giving them a different um, view of the world, really, in a way. And I guess that's what uh, we do have to do as women, is talk about our view of the world, because otherwise people are left guessing. And sometimes in the guessing, that's where there's that, that slip between cup and lip, as they, as they say. Absolutely. And I think it's a learning journey for, I, I suppose, for all of us. You know, there are other areas where I'm learning to question my own forms of thinking and my own framing and the own, my own models. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We all have them. There's a lovely catchphrase that I want you to talk about. And because I have met you a number of times over the years, this really just resonates for me about you. You're known for saying there's enough sunshine for all of us. And for me, when I think about Dereda Ibrahim, that word sunshine, you bring sunshine into a room, you bring sunshine into a relationship, you bring sunshine into the transaction. And it's, it's a bubbliness, it's a sparkliness, it's a champagne kind of personality, a positivity and optimism. Where does that come from? There's enough sunshine for all of, all of us. To, um, Nikki, well, that was a very kind description. Thank you. Yeah, I suppose 
a little bit of it is just who I am as a person is I, I definitely err on the side of positivity and, and optimism. I really believe that there's, there's always a way. Um, you know, sometimes the path to finding it is just harder and filled with more obstacles. But I think that's the first part of it. I think a lot to do with the conversation we just had about women in, at work and, and so forth. You know, many, many years ago, there were very few women in uh, executive circles and in boardrooms and, and so forth. And my early, early experience was that we were often, we often found ourselves competing, competing for the space to be around the table firstly. And then when we were both around the table, we were competing uh, to be heard more, to have, uh, you know, our, one's ideas valued more than the other. And often my experience was that women were, who were succeeding or were climbing this ladder or who were becoming more senior were, were doing it at the expense of the other. And I just, it was, it was a trigger for me. I, I, I battled with it like quite a lot. It, it really affected my relationship with female colleagues who displayed that kind of behavior. You know, I avoided them. Yeah, I, I just really didn't like it. And I suppose that was the first kind of space that triggered this feeling of, but why do I have to be less? Or why do you have to take something away from me in order for you to? Because there really is enough for all of us. And I found that just, you know, in... Uh, like psychology spaces, I think we call this a mindset of abundance versus of scarcity. You know, I just found that when people come from a place of scarcity, like there isn't enough, behavior is limiting. The mindset is limiting. You know, we, we put all these limiting assumptions in place that it can only be me and therefore you have to be wrong or mm. you have to be less. In a way, what you're alluding to is almost a power game and we can either use our power with each other or against each other. And when you're scrambling over each other to climb up the corporate ladder and stepping on each other's toes and fingers and all the rest, in a way, women are creating another glass ceiling for each other. So it's, it's not just because men are getting jobs, but because women are not actually supporting women to climb the ladder, get to the top. You do quite a lot of mentorship and sponsorship of women. You spend a lot of time making space for others to grow. What's your experience on a regular basis when someone asks you to mentor them? How much are they prepared to invest in that mentorship versus you? What do you come across all the time? Yeah, so, so as you say, it's something that I'm quite um, committed to. You know, I make, a spa I'm, I make the space to, to mentor as many women as I can into, um, I suppose, my schedule. But I think the first like mistake we often make as women is believing that there's this blueprint or this happy path, you know, that if you take this step and then that step and then the, that one, um, that you're going to find your, your path to success. Like and there's I, a kind of a numbers thing that you can do. So when people come to you, are they expecting to be empowered or rescued? Yeah, so I, I, those are the, those those are like strong words, but I, I think often I, I think that often it's 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 true that people want this blueprint, they want this answer, they want you to tell them how to avoid all of the pitfalls. But sometimes avoiding all of those pitfalls means avoiding the growth, uh, avoiding 
um, you know, the, the experience of it all. It's not just, it's, it's just not possible. And I think that the word, you know, when, when you talk about rescued versus empowered, I think that the word empowered is, is really about saying that I have the power to do something myself. It's about uh, saying that I have the confidence. It's about helping people um, realize that they, they can be more confident about what they need to do to achieve their goals or their ambitions and, and so forth. And so I think that I, when I mentor someone, I, I, I very much let them know that actually that the conversation or the mentorship process is really about them taking responsibility for their own growth. I think that that's the starting place, you know, is that someone else can't uh, do it for you. Someone can uh, help you spot opportunity, encourage you to grab opportunity, but I don't think someone else, it, it's just not something that can be delivered to you on, on a tray. So for me, it's very much about helping people find their own power in those relationships. And, and I must say that for most of my career, it has been about coaching and helping people uh, feel more empowered. But um, more recently, you know, I would say in the last few years, I've almost moved on from, from simply mentorship and supporting and coaching to how do I sponsor people? And I know that that, I think the word sponsor comes with lots of connotations. So, you know, personally, I didn't really look on it favorably when, when I was younger. If someone told me that that boss of yours, and I have had sponsors, I can tell you that. I didn't realize it at the time, but I have had sponsors who have helped me achieve what I have. And they've been male and they've been very supportive and they have been without wanting to take the credit for it. And so what I can say about sponsorship is that for me, it really is about how I can put the success of the person that I'm sponsoring actually ahead of my own. And what that has taken is it's actually taken quite a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to be okay with yourself, a lot of courage to believe that sponsoring someone else is not going to reduce or take away from your own opportunity, from your own success. It is about really seeing the value in win-win. We are all better off if more of us win, if more of us achieve our goals. And so I've really found people that I truly sponsor, whose success I actually want to see before my own. And I can tell you that not only has it given me the greater sense of meaning and fulfillment, but it has also made it so what you do in that process is you actually, you create a stronger platform from which other people can grow and from which other opportunities can develop. And so it has only been a win-win. And in that process, I've grown myself. I can tell you that it's this journey is of leadership and supporting each other. I think it's a never-ending one. Continue to grow. <laughs> yeah. Zureda, it has been an enlightening conversation. What really has struck me about what we've spoken about and what you've shared is that you are an enabler and you've become so evolved over time. You've evolved into such an enabler of others while not stopping enabling yourself. We spoke right at the, at the beginning of the interview about taking responsibility for your choices, for your life, for your progress, for your evolution. And I think that you're a great example of somebody who claims that space unapologetically. And it is such an inspiration. So thank you for giving so generously of your time and your insights 
and for sharing some of your infectious sunshine with us today. Is there anything that you'd like to share in closing? Nikki, it has been such a pleasure. We don't always take the time out to just reflect on some of our learnings, our own growth and our own contributions. And so for me, if anyone can use anything that I've said to maybe reflect on their own journey or what they can contribute to others, then it's been worthwhile. So thank you very, very much for the time and the space. Thank you. Well, I mean, that the, the last thing that we spoke about was about putting other people's success before your own and what joy that's given you and what a sense of, I think, satisfaction. And that's a word that's often missing in our vocabulary in our kind of scrabble for success is we forget the word satisfaction. How does it feel to be you right now? And maybe that's a place where we can leave our listeners today is how does it feel to be you? Are you experiencing a sense of satisfaction in your own career and a sense of satisfaction in helping others to get to where they need to go as well? Whether they be men or women, we all need to be seeing that we're on the same side, actually, that we're on the same side of the table. Thanks again, Zareda Ibrahim. To our listeners, please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nikkibush.com. You're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.